First Peter chapter 1, we'll continue our study. This is our fourth time in here in this book. And uh, we're in First Peter chapter 1, teaching others also. We'll pick it up in the context and we'll begin reading at verse 6, even though we went down through verse 7 pretty much last time. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found on a praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The sentence goes on, and it says, Whom having not seen, you love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now, there's always quite a bit in these writings. I, it's amazing to me that there is such pressure in the age that we live in. Here we are almost to March of 2023, and there's so much pressure on the individual person, and much of it is self-imposed. I think we all can admit that the average person self-imposes pressure on themselves in this form. Time. Time. Now, if you took away the time it takes to, to make your living, and if you took control of that time, okay, and then you said, every minute of my time outside of that, and some of the time that is yours is the time, say, if you have to commute 30 or 45 minutes or longer to work. You know, the old timers used to say, uh, one of the old timers out of Texas called it Automobile University. He <clears throat> came out with uh, many sets of cassettes in those days. There was cassette players in your cars. Now you hardly have a car that has a CD player because you're going to get it, you know, some other way. You're going to get it through, say, your phone, or you're going to get it through the car, Wi-Fi, etc. But the point is redeeming time. Now, I'm saying that because when we come to study in the Bible, people are, are in a hurry. They want it all just boiled down. I got to say this to you, that there, to me, to me, anything that tries to get in the way of me having some time to read the Bible, to absorb the Bible, to listen to what others have to say that are valuable. Now, by the way, since time is so valuable, be very discerning in who you spend time listening to. I, I think, my suspicion is, a lot of people listen to whatever's convenient so they can just kind of listen casually, you know, white noise listening. Whereas, if you really get stuck into your Bible, as we would say, if you really get in there, you, you, you're not trying to dissect it, you're not trying to, you know, squeeze things out of it, that kind of thing, but you are wanting to digest it and to absorb it. I was always known as a kid, all the way to this day, you know, going on 68 years old, uh, my tendency is to eat too fast. Get it over with. Go on to the next thing. You know, they tell you chew your food 20 bites or someone say chew it 30 times, just whatever. Well, it's not a bad idea for you. We could 
take a lesson from nature that the animals that we're supposed to be most like and most be learning from, they graze. They're not, we're not supposed to learn or be like lions or, or vultures, you know, or buzzards and tear at things and rip it. We're supposed to be those who can, who you chew on it. And I said all that to say that even in our study here, you could never just get everything you want out of it. So we're trying to give a basic overview to encourage each other and ourselves to stay in this book. I would say conservatively, I've read the book of 1 Peter a hundred times, conservatively. That's, that's like way numbering it down on purpose. Because it's not like a boast or anything, it's to say that it never, ever gets old. I don't need to read it, you know, in some kind of critical version or critical commentary or critical, just reading it. Uh, think of your favorite meal, especially if you can think of one that's good for you. You don't get tired of eating it. You wouldn't eat it every day. Well, you don't read just First Peter every single day. So as we're here in First Peter, the, the thing that's so amazing is these are things that equip you for everyday Christian living as it really is, boots on the ground, rubber meets the road. So he's been building them up, and we don't take and rehearse all the first three sessions. You've got to have to pick those up yourself in this kind of study. But he says that this trial of your faith, first he says you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be. So you can be in heaviness with manifold trials and troubles, temptations. Your English version calls it rightly so, if you'll go get your dictionary. Anyway... He, he says that the trial of your faith be mo much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the fire will try your work of what sort it is, the attitude you had, etc. He said it's going to be tried and that it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So we're living facing towards the end. Paul said he'd finished his course. He'd kept his faith. He'd kept the faith, okay? When the Apostle Paul speaks, and he's looking towards the end of his life there, he's also encouraging Timothy to do likewise. And so when he said, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith, then he says, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not unto me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. We are more likely to truly love his appearing. Now, many believers today are looking forward to their disappearing. Uh, kind of like a criminal tries to disappear when the law comes and judgment comes. You say, well, that's a little bit strong, but think about this. That's how a lot of Christians are. They just want to get out of here, and it's a selfish, I want to get out of here. I want to get away from paying my taxes, or I want to get away from traffic laws, or I want to get away from my neighbors, you know, or I want to get away from the doctors and hospitals, and I understand all that. I do. But there's only a crown if you're looking for His appearing, if you're looking to see Him, to meet Him. Now, if you're aware of the judgment seat of Christ, you won't be frivolous about that. So then he says at the glory, verse 7, 
uh, honor and praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom? Who's that? Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, ye love. Now, Peter had seen him. He had also heard the Lord Jesus Christ say, Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believed. Okay? Whom having not seen, ye love. We mentioned in our last class. The, these two things that we can do are faith and love. Faith and love do not take extra works. They don't take extra brains. They don't take extra education. They're a heart issue. Okay? Thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Faith. Love the Lord thy God with all the heart, soul, mind. When you love Him, you're giving Him something that only you can give Him. You can't give Him someone else's love. Only they can give that. They can't give your love. Only you can give that. You're giving God something. He deserves it. He's worthy of it. But He gives us the opportunity to willingly, worshipingly, it may not be a word, but it fits, love and faith. In whom having not seen you love. Now watch. In whom though now ye see Him not, yet what? Believing. Love and faith. You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'm going to be honest. Sometimes all you can do is just raise your hand with tears in your eyes. You can't even find the right words. You might say, Amen, I like, Hallelujah. Hallelujah means praise ye, Jehovah, praise ye the Lord. Uh, that's about all you can get out sometimes. It's a joy unspeakable and it's full of glory. Your heart and your mind are full and it doesn't have anything to do with how hard it is right now. It, sometimes when life is the hardest, is when that rejoicing and that full of glory is the greatest because of who He is. It's not a psychological trick. It's not an emotional trip. It's the real thing. And so He says, He connects it in verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Come to Luke chapter 9 as a cross-reference for what we're going to talk here about receiving when he says, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, there is a sense in which people are missing so completely. And by the way, you don't have to take that sentence and turn it into twice as many words and re-say it to get the point of it. You get the point of it the less words you say many times. So in Luke chapter 9, the Lord Jesus Christ in his preaching is going to show us what Paul is meaning by when he says receiving... Uh, the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. See, we're not home yet, children, so keep your eyes on the Savior. We're not there yet. We're not there. And it's not over yet. When we come, if we don't go by the rapture, when we come to cross the river, as in death, sometimes people are accompanied by others when they go in the sense of people around them. They're there. Sometimes it's in a tragedy. No one's there. Sometimes it's someone's not coherent. They've already, you know, the body is shut down or the brain is shut down and, and they go on. But with what consciousness we have and what awareness, and by the way, if someone's mind starts, you know, getting all scrambled because of the brain itself, like a hard drive on a computer, okay, if the brain is getting scrambled, 
There is no telling what they might think or say. That has nothing, listen, it has nothing to do with their salvation. The brain's all scrambled. The, the hardware is messed up. That doesn't change what's going on in their heart and soul. So the Lord Jesus Christ says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. To take up one's cross daily is to die to self daily. Now you can cheerfully, in fact, it brings cheer and joy to die to yourself. Because then you're alive to Christ and you can serve others easily. And he said, follow me. For whosoever, verse 24, Luke chapter 9, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. So what I keep for myself down here stays down here when I leave. People wanting to get some kind of security and investment, even a return on their money. You can't keep the money in your pocket for you to spend and still get interest on it. Someone says, well, I'm not getting any interest and the market's going down. I understand. So people are doing what? <laughs> people are spending their money. Thinking that somehow, I guess thinking that somehow that makes it more secure. If you're spending on something that's going to de, uh, depreciate in value, it's not saving you nothing. You're just feeling better about it. Okay? So he said, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Now watch. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. If I give up my rights to my life and I spend my life and my goods for Christ, it's going on into eternity and eternity is forever. As we noticed in 1 Peter chapter 5 when he talks about being under praise and honor and glory at the appearance, at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Verse 25, For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. So, there is something much bigger than you just getting saved. To receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls, is for you to get to the other side and have something there that will last forever. So trials, troubles, temptations are that opportunity. Please beware of motivating yourself or others by trying to appeal to this life, this life, this life, this life. The appeal to your best life now is not biblical. I, I saw a quote, just terrifying quote, that when you do something for God, you're really, when you do something for yourself, this person said, from a pulpit, a woman, when you do something for yourself, you're really doing it for God. So the more you do for yourself, you're pleasing God because He wants you to do it for yourself. Well, that doesn't match anything I've read to you today or that you could read in 50 other passages of Scripture. It doesn't match any of the lives of those whom God used from the, from the front cover to the back cover of the Bible. So our thinking is really important. This salvation that we have in the New Testament, which is completed, you know, the book of Hebrews is all about that. It, it is now completed because the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, has come, the Lord Jesus Christ.
So in verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Now, now in the Old Testament, there are multiple, you know, Isaiah chapter 53. There are multiple passages about Christ's coming. And so our true faith produces a strong love for Jesus Christ in us to help us because we have what the prophets tried to figure out and couldn't ever figure out. So much so that it says that if the princes of this world had known what they were doing, they would not have crucified Jesus Christ. See, what they did was they sealed their own fate by crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Because now he's completed it all, he's purchased it all, their fate is sealed. Before they did that, they were still somewhat in charge under the God of this world, small g-o-d. So the salvation we have was looked into, was inquired, as over there in Daniel chapter uh, 9. There is a spirit in man, but the inspiration of the Almighty giveth him understanding, Job 32.8 says. <clears throat> there is an inspiring spirit. And when we get over into uh, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, where he talks about holy men of God, is, where holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That inspiring spirit, the prophets were inspired to say what they said, but they didn't understand it all. Now from the pulpit today, that's not supposed to be what we do. <laughs> but you read Psalm 22, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, that spirit in them, they were trying to get God to reveal it, but it wasn't time yet. It says, verse 12, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves. So they knew that it was prophecy. That's all they knew, but they knew it was prophetic. It was future. Unto whom it was revealed that they did, un that revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things. Okay? What things? Which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which the angels desire to look into. There's a, uh, there's a painting and picture, if you would, you know, someone, they painted this, you know, they painted Christ on the cross, crown of thorns, you know, the, the wounded side. And the, pa the painting shows what is supposed to be an angel reaching down and touching the tip of one of the thorns on the crown of thorns on his head. They, they desire to look into it, but they can't. The angels, we are made a little lower than the angels. And it says that Jesus, Hebrews 2.9, was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, that he, by the grace of God, should be crowned with glory and honor. So we're lower than those angels. We can't fly out through the universe and the bodies God gave us on earth. We're stuck here until... He releases us from this human body and takes us home to heaven. He gives us a new body. Now then we'll be complete in those days. Those angels wanted to look into it. They, they tried to figure out what is going 
on here. And so all these things that Peter's telling us are to solidify and give us a standing and a solid foundation of our faith. For example, when you get to verse 13, wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. So as we get into this and we're studying it, what it's doing is it's helping us see, here's what I have. That's why as you go through this book, when you get to chapter 2, verse 11, where it says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. He's warning us of what it's like to be in a sojourn here. Chapter 1, that title was Salvation Begins Our Sojourn. So in verse 13, he says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, when we go down through this, this present, let's look at verses 13 down to 16 for a few minutes. We may get through it in this class. Notice he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Make a cross reference. Take time to go look at Ephesians chapter 6 on the whole armor of God. He calls it the girdle of truth. Having your loins, well, come over to Ephesians 6 for a minute. Just kind of get your mind in there. And we won't teach on this whole thing of the, of the armor of God. That's a, a whole different subject as such. However, when he tells you in chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may able, be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may, able, may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, now watch, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, etc. So your loins girt about with truth beside that verse in your Bible. It's a great idea. I, I learned to do this and it really works. Beside, beside Ephesians 6, 14, where he says, your loins girt about, draw your little line out to the margin and put in there 1 Peter 1, 13. Because he defines for us what those loins are. It's your mind. Okay? Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. He's giving you the picture of a soldier. And he's basically putting on, putting on his, his web gear. But it was more than that in those days. It's, if you've ever seen a weight, somebody lifting weights and they got that large, wide belt there, that's to support their innards when they're straining and when they're doing that. And so your loins girt about with truth is where the armor starts. From that you would hang stuff. From that you would do a lot of things. It would also protect those vitals against a cut, a slash. Okay, so you had the shield you meant, you'll see later there in Ephesians 6. You hold that with your hand. You've got a sword in your other hand. But you've got your loins girt about with truth. And so they are protected and supported. And we find out what that is in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. It's your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. A girder is something that's under it and it holds it and grabs it and protects it. So he says, to gird it up. Now watch, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. 
So we have to have a strong mind if we're going to stay strong for Christ. That's really important. And so what we want to do is we want to realize that to be effective, to be ready to stand and withstand, we've got to have our armor on. And in this case, he just mentions this one piece at first. Okay? It's important to understand that this is not just uh, for a, a man. It's a woman too. Let me give you a verse. If I can run it down real fast here. Let me give you a verse. <laughs> it's in Proverbs 31, I believe it is, is where I want to go. And uh, there it is. Ready? Write this down. Proverbs 31, verse 17. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. So, dear ladies, dear women, you're supposed to have a strong mind. When the Bible says that a woman's a weaker vessel, it does not say she is a weak vessel. There ought to be a difference between a man and a woman. The man ought to be stronger mentally and emotionally. Yes, I know that's a lot not true. Yes, if you'll follow it back, it's almost by design now, the way that they take young men and raise them. But the point is, it's, your, it's the chief seat of your bodily strength, your loins, and they're girt, they're strengthened and protected. It's where all your limbs connect. It's, it's what you stand on with power. <clears throat> in breathing, in martial arts, you breathe down into that. About three fingers width below your belly button is where you breathe in your lungs. You force that air down in there. And, and it's amazing what it does for the strength of your body. Nothing mystical or spiritual about it. Just plain old common sense. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace. What is he telling them to do? Strengthen that mind. Notice what he says there. He says, that is to be, uh, And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope is a powerful thing. We're supposed to have hope. Now, if you wanted to apply it as an Advent passage, also you can. You can. We're looking for that. But connected with verse 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. One fellow put it this way, there's nothing like an obedient today to reveal God's will tomorrow. You know, ignorance is your only excuse before salvation, but it's not going to be ignorant an excuse later. Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. So notice that God cares how we fashion ourselves. Now, it's not just what you wear, but let me say this to you. A child of God should be an example. And I don't care if you're 10 or 17 or 100. We should be an example of moderation when it comes to fashion. We should not be slobs. We should not be ultra casual. You don't have to be ultra, ultra, you know, dressed up. But I will say this, in every aspect of life, I'm very uh, keen on watching people, all walks of life. And when it really matters, 
people dress appropriately. And it may be just because it's a matter in business. It might be a matter of, say, politics or interaction with people. It might be a matter of reverence. I was recently at a place, a cafeteria-type place, and there was probably between 75 and 100 people, and all the women were, had some black. They were in black, black skirt, black top. The men were wearing black shirts, black trousers, all but, but just a small handful. And people were, you know, they're saying, oh, it's in the area that this ca cafeteria was, you know, has got a lot of Amish and stuff. And they're like, oh, they must be Amish Mennonite. And I was like, well, I don't think that's what it is. There's too many of them. So I found that. I picked a fellow out who actually had a different kind of shirt on, but he was with them, had a heavy accent, and I asked him. And he said, no, this is for a funeral today. My brother unexpectedly passed away, just dropped dead. And they were primarily, people had relatives, they were from Latvia, Latvian community, and they, uh, Latvian Pentecostal church. The thing that made me curious was because having been in Eastern Europe, you see that kind of thing at funerals and stuff. So putting the two together, I was like, I've got to find out. And I thought about this passage. And then when I was reading this passage recently to get ready to, you know, have this class, I was like, you know, people don't understand that Christians are being an example where they want to be or not. Not fashioning yourselves according to the form of lust of your ignorance. That is more than your doctrine in your head. It's more than your beliefs. It's more than your, just your... It's everything about us. And I'm not talking about, you know, being, you know, uh, super dressed to the max, you know, and suit and tie at every occasion. No, I'm not talking about that. But notice, verse 15, As he who called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. A holy fashion. Listen, neutral and modest ladies, do you not find it odd that women will wear clothes that they would be totally aghast if a man wore their clothes that way, that short and that tight and that revealing, when in reality God made the woman's body to be the attractive thing on this earth? If you'll read your Bible. Don't you find that odd? I found that odd. As soon as I got saved, I was, and it had nothing to do with legalism or any of that kind of... I was like, you know, it's really strange to me that Christians teach their little girls to dress like they do. Here's why. I'll close with this. <laughs> Here's why. They don't want to be weird, peculiar, which he says we are. They don't want to be that in front of their neighbors and friends. See, we're not talking about being like like they like they talk about the extremes, you know, Amish or Mennonite and that, who who go to an extreme. I get that. But I do have more respect for them that they're trying to have an appearance and a modesty about them. Whereas Christians, in the name of liberty and grace, have thrown off everything. And I'm not talking about don't ever wear, you know, uh, sandals and shorts and a, a T-shirt. But I know this. There's a lot of ways to... Where And you can't convince me, other than some place, now, now hear me out, other than some place that's hotter than any place I've ever been, and I've been to places at the equator, I've been in New Guinea, I've been in, in the tropics, 
it does not demand for us to be sloppy and careless and to put a little bit of two degrees of cool comfort ahead of showing God and others that God is special. Can you imagine a priest or a Levite, all that stuff they had to wear? Can you imagine one of them saying, God, this is too hot and there's no breeze today and I'm inside this tabernacle or the temple and I, I'm sorry, Lord, but I'm just going to come in here casual today. Do you think they would have lived very long? You say, well, they were under the law. You and I are supposed to live beyond. Uh, take the law further, not less. My point is, what if you missed out on something God has for you in the way of knowing Him? Let's review it quickly, verse 14. As obedient children, not fashion yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Once you get saved, you know better. And you start to read your Bible and you compare people you know better. Listen, here's what I know. God will hold me accountable and He will hold you accountable he will hold every man and every woman accountable for their part in the, the impression and the expression they give to others of who God is and who it is to be a follower. Now, now hear me. Someone says, well, I don't want them to think I'm just kind of square and fuddy-duddy. I don't set out to, but I don't care if they think that. I don't care if they go, boy, that's a, that's a little bit extra modest. Do you, do you know what? I'll tell you what you do tell you what you do and we're going over i know but hear me out pull up some of those videos of fishing nowadays do you know what you'll see 90 percent 90 percent of these pro fishermen and these and these fishing guides wearing long sleeve shirts and long sleeve pants they're doing it ready to protect from the sun so if if they're doing that for a selfish reason. And it's okay to protect yourself from the sun, okay? But it's a self-motivated. But it's wrong for a child of God to be modest. I didn't tell you to go around with long sleeves all the time, see? I didn't tell you to go around and never be able to dress for, you know, fighting the heat. When it's hot, try to find a way to fight the heat. Amen. You know, one time when I was framing, we were framing condos, and I was going through Bible Institute, these two guys showed up for a framing job. Framing. Okay, not finished work. Framing. In short shorts and a singlet and flip-flops. And they wanted that guy to hire them on to be framing carpenters because they were supposed to be so good. Now, can you imagine? Let, let's just take a legal thing. Can you imagine what OSHA would do if they walked in and saw that? Those guys out there in flip-flops. Huh? You, you see what I'm saying? In other words, this is how crazy... And listen, this was... Oh my goodness. This was in the 70s. Late 70s. Not 18, but 1970s. So my point is, and I know I belabored a little bit, but as obedient children. Because when you get down to verse 17, which we'll pick up next time, and if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, 
but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth, etc. And we'll get to that. But please give it some thought as you're studying this, this passage. As students, what we should do is say, Lord, if it says it, I must let it affect me. And I'm not talking about bondage. I'm not, but I know. Vance Havner, the great revivalist, said, if you tell a Christian they can take it or leave it, 90% of the time they'll leave it. And sadly, that's the truth. God is full of grace. And He's not holding us to some legal standard. In fact, He says, how much do you love me? Have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed that if you associate with many different things, occupations in the world, for example, you're going to stand out in the crowd like a sore thumb. You take our military, what do they do? They stand out. When I was in Navy ROTC in high school, it was right at that time when there's all the conflict about Vietnam and everything. And I remember getting spat on it at school on the days that we were told to wear our uniforms. And it was just part of being in ROTC. And you wanted to do something about it just because of the level of disrespect, but you had more respect. I had more respect for my leaders who had said, do not retaliate. So we didn't. And we could have easily, but we didn't. Did we not retaliate because we were ashamed? No, it was because we were, we were proud to, to be in ROTC, proud to wear a uniform for our country. So you see, what I'm saying to you is, let us remember that these things in Simon Peter's epistles, listen, later, he gives, he gives some admonitions for you dear ladies. Oh my goodness. And it goes right in the face of today. It goes right in the face of all the, even some of the so-called women's ministries today. But here's the thing. It's not a matter of oppressing each other or being oppressed. It's how much do I love him? How proud am I of God? How much do I want to go that extra step in how I do things in my deportment, in my dress, just to say, hey, God is worth it. Doesn't make me better than anybody else. I am better off to keep my relationship with God. All right, let's close this session in prayer and then we're going to pick it up again. Father, we thank you for this time. Pray, use these thoughts. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.